I'm Joy Schwartz. And I'm Natalie Siston. We are The The Collective Collective Voice. We are two college friends who will talk about issues that impact professionals at work and in life. This is Natalie to introduce Joy's next interview for The Collective Voice. In this episode, she interviews communications expert Allison Freeman. Joy does an excellent job of doing a thorough introduction of her, so I won't waste your time with that information. What I do want to say is that Allison had me hooked as soon as I heard her say the words fearless feedback. Stay tuned to get some excellent tips on how to make the most out of your communications and your words. And as a bonus, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, stay on for the entire episode to get some honest tips from Allison on how she's made this journey work for her. Enjoy the show. Welcome podcast listeners. I'm so excited to be joined by Allison Freeman for this particular podcast episode. Before we begin, like we always do, I want to share some background on Allison and explain to you how we got acquainted. Allison Freeman is a highly experienced global communications strategist, coach, and keynote speaker. She's the president of Alicom, a global communications consultancy and coaching firm. And let me pause before I share this astounding number. Allison has successfully trained over 10,000 managers, engineers, high potential employees, executives, and industry leaders over the past decade. She helps successful business leaders become more powerful communicators by being strategic, succinct, engaged, empathetic, and business-driven. Allison states that good leaders must be great communicators because it's just part of the job. To be successful, you must be compelling, persuasive, and passionate. You must also be able to work through challenging language and cultural barriers. And I was so fortunate to meet Allison through a previous employer where I engaged her in a full-day workshop for senior-level P&L leaders. I watched Allison transform the way these leaders talked about themselves and their businesses. One of her slogans, Your Message Clarified, was personified by these leaders as our session progressed. And since then, Allison and I have stayed in touch and leveraged each other as thought partners in work, life, and health matters. Allison, I am so excited to have you. What a great introduction. Thank you. Yeah, welcome to our show. So I always ask people to share, uh, always ask our guests to share something a little less formal than the formal bio. So maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about, um, about your work and add on anything that I missed a little bit earlier. Well, the things that come to mind are my clients um, ping me as being someone who gives fearless feedback. So, <laughs> and I saw that in action. Yeah, so it may be the Jersey girl in me, but um, I'm not necessarily politically correct. And I think inside the corporation or the empire, everybody really does walk on eggshells or sometimes speaks in an echo chamber. People are afraid to be candid, which is why I keep getting invited back. <laughs> So my clients um, appreciate my candor. I keep it, I keep it connected. I keep it interesting, but mm-hmm. I keep it relevant. And I don't get personal with people. There's never personal attacks, but certainly I will say to somebody, um, "How's that working for you?" So when I have a president of a company and hear me say something like that, and no one's ever said that to a president of a company, they are very um, relieved 
to hear that kind of counsel, and that's why I get invited back. So fearless feedback, I think, is the biggest one. Absolutely, like the emperor uh, without the clothes, right? It is kind of like that. So I'm the person that turns the pages of the book and shows you that, I guess, you're naked. (laughs) Is that that the analogy? (laughs) Yes, I've seen leaders shake in your presence, so I think there's something there. But I want people to feel confident when they leave the room. So people shake or people feel perhaps insecure because I am asking them to try things that are not typical or that are outside what I would call the comfort zone. But I think anybody who really wants to grow in their career knows that's where the growth happens. You have to be uncomfortable to grow. Mm -hmm. And leaders, like other employees in the organization, get complacent. We put our feet on the floor every day, we go to work, we do our thing, and we don't necessarily challenge ourselves to get to that next place. So when I come in, I'm like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and let's challenge ourselves. And by the way, almost every leader I've ever worked with has some degree of insecurity about what they're doing, how they're communicating, are they effective, how they're perceived, Um, and they can't show it. But I get to see it, I get to be a part of that um, experience of pulling back the layers of the onion and then giving them the confidence they need to go forth and conquer and connect, which is really what it's about. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mentioned I've, I've seen it happen. So yeah. what do you do to get them in that comfortable place um, so that they, they disclose and they tell you about that anxiety or those fears that they have? Well, I think for insecurity, that's a much softer word. Yeah, perhaps. You know, I'm very intuitive. Because when I get with folks, I want to um, peel back the layers, as I said, of what their business challenge is, who they're trying to communicate to, what their audience is thinking and feeling. And when I see them start to um, evolve in the process and get into other people's skin and get into their business challenge from different perspectives... I see these aha moments, these light bulb moments with them that are just really kind of a beautiful thing. Sometimes I just stop in the training room and I just have this moment of silence just to honor what just happened. And it happens all the time. And there's really no way to teach someone to do it. Like, I would love to replicate myself and say, hey, I need more Allisons on board. But this is just a really special thing that I'm very proud of. And it's a connection I make with people. Mm -hmm. And they're safe with me. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I don't share it outside the room, but I will pull out my BS meter and say, I'm afraid that that's not working here. We need to get more real on this. So let's get more specific. We, we joke that, you know, you're the Jersey girl. I have a 973 area code. So I love that tip. about you. That's... I feel very at home when I'm calling you, by the way. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> I know. People are like, you know you can change that. And I said, no, I can't. No. I can't. There's it's like 212. You've got to stay if you're a New Yorker. you got to stay with the 212. Yeah. I, I, and they say people don't want to embrace Jersey, but I love that about you. But the reality is you do speak with two leaders without a filter Mm -hmm. to some extent. So what are the sorts of things you are sharing with them that they've never heard before? One of the first things I do with people is I ask them to identify their personal brand. Mm -hmm. And I will actually record somebody in the beginning of our engagement um, if we're doing presentation skills training or a media engagement, and I'll play back. With my, you know, with my professional videographer, we'll do playback. So they get to see how they come across visually, vocally, and verbally. And it's really um, an eye-opening experience because most people don't get that opportunity. Right. And sometimes I'll have a leader go, well, I really come across abrasive or abrupt or brash. Or for internal communication, if they're trying to share some message, maybe they're doing a reorg or um, a riff or they're you know, changing up their HR policies or whatever's going on, right? Um, if they're trying to share difficult messages in, uh, inside the company, they'll go up with no empathy, no connection, no acknowledgement of the pain of points in the room. 
And when they see themselves on camera doing that, they're like, I wouldn't want to listen to me. So I almost don't have to do the work. It's really, it really is kind of like they do it for me. I love when the class teaches itself, right? But I just sit back and I acknowledge it. I'm like, yes, so how could we do that better? If you were that person in the room, what would you want to hear? So that's really how we start, and that's how I ease them into the notion of you might be able to do better with how you're communicating. <laughs> yeah, you have, like, instant buy-in right there. Mm-hmm, because they've, they've talked themselves into it, which is so great. I don't have to do a sales job once I'm in the room. Yeah, yeah. when they watch it, they know. Mm-hmm. So you used three words, three Vs, together. And I love that about you, you always have these clever idiomatic expressions or frameworks that you use or was it visually vocal yeah verbally I wish I could take claim for this so in 19 oh my gosh like I want to say 68 there was a doctor a psychologist named Albert Moravian who did a study on how people communicate and how you're perceived and he actually segmented it into visual vocal verbal and I think that even with social media and even with how I think our communication process is so broken now, those three Vs and the percentages assigned by his research still stands the test of time. So basically, um, and if you think about it, social media actually validates this, 55% of how we perceive somebody is based on what we see. Right. 38% how you use your voice. So people listening to me right now are thinking, oh my God, she talks too fast or she's got a bit of a Jersey accent. They probably think you're wearing heels and you're like... You know, six don't, feet tall. Don't tell the truth, please. I'm not in, <laughs> we don't want them to know I'm in my pajamas right now. No, I'm not. It's a joke. And then, of course, this is the harshest math of all, though. 7% of what people remember about is are the words you say. And they only remember the stuff that really matters to them. So you may totally be missing the mark. You may have this important message of, we need to do a better job cutting costs. Right. But what they're hearing is, I may lose my job. Which is frightening. Right. So so we have to make sure that we have that 7% that people take away be relevant to yeah. the um, success of your communication. Um, and, of course, there's the monotonic aspect because most people just don't use their voice very well, especially right. in virtual communication. So I really help people to modulate better and to um, draw it out and put some pauses in there and have more strength and power in the way they communicate. And then, of course, there's a visual aspect, which I love so much because Mm. we are just all pretty much visual thinkers. We make decisions based on what we see. We make, even who we're going to elect to be the leader of the free world is based on what we see. If you look at the the Obama-McCain election as a good example, Obama, for most people, he was easier on the eye. He was easier to feel good about than McCain, who looked perhaps more stilted. Although on paper, McCain had the most amazing resume in the history of politics for all of his service. And Obama was just a freshman senator from from um, Illinois, right? right? But Obama visually did a better job and he was elected for a lot of reasons, but that had a lot to do with that. So talk to me more about the, the appearance piece. So yeah, what what can we do to control some? You talked about the seven percent a little bit, and I want to come back to it. Right. But what about the fifty? Was it fifty? Fifty-five. Fifty-five percent. So what do we do there? Well, let's talk about um, gender and age a little bit. So let's talk about women in particular. And I love doing um, women leadership coaching because women make a few mistakes that are. Um, Gosh, that really, really hurt their brand. They can fix really quickly to be better communicators. Right. Okay, we want to take a pause because you're about to share something really valuable to our listeners. This is called a pregnant pause, <laughs> and that means something really great's about to happen. Woo! Okay, yes. carry on. So, for women who are standing up in front of a room communicating, 
watch your posture. A lot of women tend to slouch because inherently we want to look smaller. We want to be thinner and smaller, and especially um, in front of a room. And if you are small in stature, stand tall. And if you're large in stature, stand tall. Wear <laughs> six-inch heels. Who cares? But go for it. In fact, a CEO that I've worked with recently is 6'1", flat-footed, and she wears Jimmy Choo's that are five inches big, and she doesn't care one bit. Good and she her. towers over everybody, and she deserves it. So shoulders back. Um, stand tall. Watch your feet, too. I see a lot of women crossing at the ankles or crossing their legs. Now, we see that on the red carpet a lot because these models and, and, um, and A-listers want to look skinny for their People magazine covers. But that also indicates that um, you have, for, for professional communication, it's, um, it's a weakness it means that you don't want to be intruded upon, no pun intended. It might mean you need to use the restroom, which would be awful. So my counsel is have that kind of Wonder Woman stance where you're maybe 18 inches to 24 inches apart and have a strong posture with your hips evenly placed over your feet so you're not leaning over to one side. Um, I think also visually, um, women have to give more space um, in their carriage. So a lot of women want to keep their hands folded in front of them and almost like they're kneading something or they're wringing their hands. My, my model or counsel would be open up your posture and put space in between your elbows and your rib cage. So you actually get bigger and think about what, um, what happens in the animal kingdom and how maybe a cobra when it opens up or a bird opens up. You want to have a more open posture when you're communicating to show confidence in the way you communicate. Gen Xers have this problem too. Young people, millennials, and especially have this challenge as well. Hmm. So don't go small. When you're communicating, you deserve a seat at the table. Whether you're seated or standing, own your zip code. And what about gesturing and the movement when you're actually speaking? That's one of my favorite questions because so many people are counseled or trained out of gestures, either culturally or organizationally. So, for, But no matter where you live on the planet, when you are born, you are born gesturing. And you can look at an infant or a toddler gesturing from Japan to Saudi Arabia to, um, to South America to Alaska. They all do the same thing. But we, we untrain people or we berate people for overusing their hands. But here's oh, the truth. Yeah. It's awful. Because well, yeah, it happened. I took a communications course in my MBA program, and I felt like I had to... I needed to have late. The way they were coaching us was as if we needed to have weights in our hands. Oh. Well, give yes. them my business card, and I can come in and do a council, a class for the uh, training for the group. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, right. But no. Um, but the thing about gesturing is, if and all of us have seen someone walking down the street where they're they're on a cell phone and they're gesturing like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has seen that because. Just, especially if you're like giving directions, let's say, because gestures help you to pull information out of your file cabinet in your head right. and articulate them out of your mouth. And when you're gesturing, you're actually living through the experience, so it also signals authenticity and communication. So when people are reading a script that's been prepared for them, they don't gesture because they don't have ownership of the language. Mm. Right? So, so, so a lot of my CEOs who are given their scripts, I'm like, no, no, no. we got to put our fingerprints on this because you act like you're reading like the dictionary right now. This right. is about as, as exciting as watching paint dry. <laughs> There's my New Jersey thing. So we need to get real on this and put you into the story. Right. But when you are talking about things that matter to you, your hands have to come to life. And anybody from the Northeast will tell you, if you want to shut me up, 
put my hands together and shut them down because yeah. I have to use my hands to communicate as I am right now. It I matters. Oh, it's in the DNA. It matters though. It makes the message more meaningful to you and to the audience. Well, and it makes you more authentic. Mm-hmm. Which matters. It's everything. It does. Okay, so we talked about the 55%. So let's yeah. go back to the 7%. Ooh, the verbal piece. The verbal piece, right. So, so I've seen you introduce some really useful frameworks around mm-hmm. you know, creating your message, re- refining your message, and kind of putting your brand around it yeah. as you close. So can you say more about that? Well, oftentimes when people put presentations together, they are missing the boat on, I'm going to say, three things. If you're given the task to put a presentation together, you probably will, if I say joy, I want you to give me a presentation on the status of this process with inside the company. The first thing you might do is you're going to go to the cloud or <laughs> internal cloud and say, okay, where can I pull slides and how can I get my data and facts around the process, right? Right. I, want, I take people in a different direction. I'm like, first, let's get into the audience's heads and hearts, mm-hmm. and let's get some real um, language around what makes people tick so we can have the first thing, which is audience connection. Right. Because that will drive what content you use. Absolutely. If you know what content, if you know what the audience is thinking and feeling and what they need, you will be more discerning as to which content you use so you don't throw up on them with everything about said process, right? Yes. So it gives, you, um, it gives you some boundaries or lanes. The second thing is um, I always want people to marry up their facts and data with something that's emotional or storytelling. Hmm. So if you talk to me about a certain process and a piece of the business that improved year over year or quarter over quarter, that's all interesting. And you can show me a chart on what that, that hockey stick looks like, right? Mm-hmm. But I want to know... And John and Jane and, and, and Dave in the field got together and collaborated on how they can improve this process, and that's really where we see that step change from third to fourth quarter. And I actually met with them, and their, their pride around what they came up with to actually roll out to other organizations as best practices was amazing. So I'm going to give John and Jane and Dave some love. That's what I said their names were. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to breathe life into my facts and data. So really, telling a story. that always, because, because the facts and the data are inanimate. They're dead. They have no life. When you take a data point or a fact and you mm-hmm. marry it with an illustration and a story, you breathe life into it and make it more memorable and relevant for your audience. So that's the second thing. Hold on the third. How do you convince, I mean, when you're working with engineers. Oh, God. Yes. Or yes. attorneys or doctors, yes. whomever, people who live on eat, the breathe, sleep, facts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. How do you convince them that they can influence the hearts and minds by doing just that, having that balance? How I, do you influence them? I love that question because people categorize folks that live on the left side of the brain as so unfeeling. And the truth is, if you get into their content and you tap into their passion about what happened with said process or invention or a medical breakthrough or whatever it is, boy, it's like a Christmas tree. It's like the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. They light up. So that's part of my job is to tap into their passion. And by the way, I trick people when I'm training them. Hmm. So I have my professional videographer, and we have our little signals and our things that we do, and I give him a wink, and he records my client talking about their passion when they don't think they're on camera. Ooh. And this, the, the that's difference, sneaky. it's sneaky, but the difference between 
when they think they're presenting mm-hmm. and they're being stoic and, and steady and monotonic and then they share their passion is like night and day. It's like that Christmas tree thing that I just talked to you about. Right. So when they see the new and improved, then they know that that's the baseline, that they can, that's, that's now their high watermark. They can't go any lower than that because that's what they need to do to be an effective leader. That's awesome. So every single group that you just talked about, they have wonderful passion for their work, and they're miscategorized as unfeeling or, um, and it's, it's it's typical. I felt that way, and I joke about it. But you know, mm-hmm. the truth is, we have to just get through some of the layers to the real good stuff. Well, it's true, and they all, and you know, I've worked closely with engineers as well, and yeah. I find that they do have an emotional core, and when you tap into it. It's a beautiful thing, right? They want to tell you about their children. They want to tell you about their sailboat or the, you know, the volunteer work they do in the community. And they just light up. So it's amazing when it happens. Well, recently I was working with a technology company in Dallas who created um, a semiconductor for a glucose meter. And the Mm -hmm. glucose meter actually was something that um, they had a son that had type 1 diabetes. And they had to be in touch with the school and keep really close uh, contact with their son at all times. The kid had no freedom, basically, because obviously the worst could happen. But this particular device that was a breakthrough for this company enabled their son to live his life. And they had remote access, Wi-Fi access, to where his glucose was so they could have the peace of mind and her son could grow up normally. So when I got into the story beyond beyond the texts and specs and speeds and feeds, and I got into the story of right. how they impacted their this guy impacted his neighbor's life indirectly, right? Because it's obviously he worked with an OEM to make it happen. But I mean, sure. he, you know, the pride it just oozed all over the place. It was awesome. Oh yeah. So yeah. that's that's what I want to tap into when I teach people. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it got beyond the Internet of Things it into the, the actual too, feeling. Yeah, yes. exactly. We know that language. So, okay, so I interrupted you. There were So repeat real quickly the one and two, and then let's go into the third So the point. first one was audience connection. Right. The second one was marrying facts and data to stories and illustrations. And the third thing is have a big idea. Oh, yes, right? I love that one. So what's the theme? And, what's the, and, and the theme can't have serial numbers and zip codes and all kinds of, <laughs> you know, text and specs and speeds and feeds in it. You need to keep it simple, like something you can tweet or something that could be a billboard or a bumper sticker. Example? So if I'm walking down the hallway and I said, hey, Joy, I hear you're going to be interviewing Allison later for a podcast, your, your big idea might be how to better communicate with connection and authenticity. Allison's the expert. Oh, and there's the title of our podcast episode. There Thank you. you. You're welcome. <laughs> but it almost is the title, but it's something that you would repeat or, mm-hmm. or post and say frequently throughout the conversation or the presentation. Right. So we want to be sure to have that big idea, and everything else that we talk about will fold underneath that umbrella idea. I love it. Mm-hmm. So what else in the 7%? What else? What other strategies or advice would you offer as we kind of get closer to the end of our interview? What else would you leave our listeners with as it relates to how to communicate vocally or verbally? I would say message discipline. Um, So I work with a lot of oil and gas companies and also technology companies who have people that have been around since the semiconductor was created or since oil and gas was discovered, you know? So (laughs) they know about the Earth's crust cooling and dinosaurs dying and all that important stuff, right? Right. And Kilby back in his garage in the 1910, you know, whatever whatever year that was. Right. So, you know, these people um, are the encyclopedia for all things in that industry. 
But the audience doesn't need you to tell them everything you know. They only need you to tell them what's in matter, what matters to them so you then can achieve your business objective. So stay on message. Mission mm -hmm. creep and stepping out of your lanes for said presentation is a big problem for people who are really smart. So it's a smart person's disease. <laughs> and, you know what? And that's true, though. But yeah, and the problem that makes is, sense. and you and they have been measured to date yes. by their the credibility that they bring to the table, yeah. and they're valued for their opinion, their point of view, right? Yeah. But sometimes less is more. You Agreed. Know? Completely. There's, there's really this nice balance of just answering the question and not going into all of the techno technological aspects of it. So I really encourage people to restrain. And let people ask you more questions or put a that slide in the appendix and if it comes up, let's bring it up. But you do not need to throw up on your audience. Nobody wants to do be a part of that. And by the way, you don't want people to leave you know, your presentation thinking, oh my God, he just wouldn't shut up. You want right. people to leave saying, I wish that guy talked longer. Yeah, well, it's similar to the type of coaching I give people when they're going through an interview process. If you think about it in a career counseling context, mm -hmm. you, know, you give the interviewer just enough so that they're hungry and they ask you for more. Right. They want more detail. They want more story. Mm -hmm. But you cover that context, your role in it, and then the result, and then leave them asking you for more. That's perfect advice. And that's, I think that's the last bastion in all of this is less is more. We have, you know, we all talk too much. And I think one of the beauties in, um, in communication and one of the things that are broken in communication that I'm dedicated to fixing is the, the interchange is the ability to ask people good questions, to be an active listener and not be thinking how you're gonna how you're gonna now talk about yourself, mm -hmm. but how you can then ask exploratory questions and follow-up questions and make deeper connection with people. And that's ultimately what my firm's all about. Mm -hmm. We're about connecting with people, we're about getting and I want people to understand me. I want to understand my clients. It's personal for me. Oh, yes, I've seen it. It's personal. I mean, people sometimes criticize me for um, getting too personal with what I do for a living with my clients. Well, you know, if that doesn't work for you, I'm not the right firm for you because that's who I am. This is personal work. And it's um, I, I highly recommend that people take the time to know the people around them better. It's not just about you. Yes, and you get very invested, and I've seen it. So I do want to ask you two more quick questions before we close. One is you've used a lot of business language, um, which we value. Um, and as an HR professional, I can appreciate that as well. Sometimes that's difficult for people um, who are coming in as an outsider or a consultant. Mm -hmm. So how did you, you know, from your origins in television and making your way into this space, how did you train yourself to speak the language of business? And how do you continue to do it in a way that builds credibility with your stakeholders and your clients? Well, sometimes I feel like the emperor who has no clothes on to bring this conversation full circle. <laughs> yeah, truly, I do. Because I have oil and gas clients who are Fortune 5 companies who will say to me, you know more about our business than we do. And I kind of leave the, the meeting saying, if they only knew. I mean, sometimes I have to think to myself, what's the difference between upstream and downstream? And I, because yeah. in my mind, I, I think it's, it's the opposite. So I... You're I, right. It is counterintuitive. I'm with you. My brother works in oil and gas. Right. So I think, yeah. I think downstream is going into the earth and getting the resource. It's actually the exact opposite. It's I delivering it to the market. So I have to stop and have... Like, it's like left and right. I put my fingers up to make sure which fingers are making the L, you know? Right. This is one of those dumb things. But um, 
you know, being coming from the world of journalism and being a, a journalist, I don't think you ever recover from that. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a lifelong learner, and if I get a client who has a business issue, I am known for making, and I kill lots of trees doing this, I admit it, but I make binders of information about mm-hmm. a particular issue. So I want to know everything about their business interests, what's in the news right now, what their pains are, what their shareholders are saying, what their fence line neighbors are saying, what the NGOs or, or the non-governmental agencies are saying, organizations or foes are saying. I want to go to their enemy's website, and I want to know all the worst stuff that's out there. So I can come in and be that outside voice, and that's when my BS meter comes into play. Because I, if, we can, if they can make it in the program with me, and the research I've done, which, by the way, I'm an inch deep and a mile wide on this stuff. Sure. If they can make it with me, they can make it out there. And almost all my clients will tell you that universally. If we can survive this media training and we can get through Allison's benchmarks for success, we're going to be just fine in the real interview with Forbes or the Wall Street Journal. Or with our internal organization Precisely. in a tenuous place, right? Precisely. Absolutely. And you've alluded to it a little bit. We've talked about your clients and your business, but... A lot of our listeners have aspirations of starting their own shop, uh, going off on their own, right? Yeah. What have you learned from this process of going off on your own? Okay. I've learned that if you try to know all the answers and, and figure out all the metrics and see the roadmap perfectly before you make the decision to do it, you'll never do it. So there is a degree of fearlessness that's involved. You know, I kind of have this model where I say, and I can't say it on your podcast, but F, fear. Okay. Okay, so that's my thing. Fear is a four-letter word. So if you really know that you have a product that people will want, I say yes and work backwards. I will figure it out. I like that slogan, say yes and work backwards. That's my thing. And, you know, I, I just really honestly believe that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, you must trust yourself and what you've done. So if you have built a strong reputation in the community in which you will serve, mm-hmm. and you do it with, and you deliver your product, whatever it is, a widget or training like me, with integrity and intention, um, it will work It will work out. Yeah. I, I really believe that. And, and I'll tell you what, and not to get too like religious or metaphysical here, but the world, has, the world will provide you what you need. You have to trust. You have to trust yourself and the universe that you will succeed. And there will be moments that you will feel like, oh, my God, what did I do? And I've had plenty of panic, ta- panic attacks on the floor of my closet in the fetal position with my, thing, my thumb in my mouth. I have. <laughs> believe me. But, you know, you got to pick you yourself up and do it. You yeah. have to do it. And I think, the, um, I think the third thing is you have to be willing to let go. Say more. Um, so I don't know what the next six months of my life looks like. I just don't. Last year was my year of transition and, um, and let's say, closure. Mm-hmm. So on a personal note, I had a divorce. I had bilateral or both knees replaced. My daughter just turned 16, started driving. My son just graduated from high school. I left a business partnership that I wasn't expecting to leave exactly. Um, So there was all these things in my life that came to an end. And I'll tell you, if there was anything that was going to knock me down, I just didn't know that I could take any more. But um, I let go of of not knowing. I let go of the not knowing if I was going to be okay. And I meditated, and I, I journaled, and I 
took care of myself. And if I wanted to stay in bed all day, I did. But I, I let myself be in that space. Yeah. And I know now that I went through a process that is similar to that of a butterfly. That I was that caterpillar that went into the cocoon, turned into like a metabolic mush. I seriously did. And here I am. I've emerged with that full-scale breadth of, of confidence and knowledge and product and integrity and all the things I know I can do. But I had to go through that process to be able to sit here with you today. So I think you have to trust the universe, trust yourself, have your integrity, have your authenticity, and don't be married to outcomes. Just take it one step at a time. You don't know what's going to happen in six months from now? Get over it. It's okay. Yeah, thank you so much for your, your candor and words of wisdom. You're welcome. You are an inspiration to the rest of us who have aspirations of doing those things. Yeah. And it is scary. And I think that see, hearing stories of others who've taken those risks um, gives the rest of us courage and inspiration. So thank if you I could, for well, that. If I, if I could add one more thing. Please, add another nugget. Well, the one more thing is life isn't predictable. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. So... What I'm doing now in my head, knowing that I have children to support, a household to support, and a business to create, and needs to rehab, um, I am. I think about, well, what's the worst case scenario? If I do this thing that I'm doing, and for some reason it doesn't work, which, by the way, failure is not an option, but let's just say, okay, <laughs> um, I have plan B. And in my, both of my parents are gone. I don't have family that lives nearby. So my worst-case scenario actually is a first-world problem. It's not so bad. Right. We're not going to be homeless on the streets. It's going to be fine. So I think being able to take risks in a calculated way, again, not knowing the outcome, is imperative to stepping out on your own. You aren't going to know what's going to happen. It may not work, and that's okay. It's one of those lessons that life will give you. It's a blessing, and you will be stronger and get through it and move on to the next thing that will be even better. Thank you, Allison. Wise words. Mm -hmm. Before we close, why don't you tell our audience where they can find you and learn more about your work? Well, my company's name is Alicom, A-L-I-C-O-M-M, or Allison Communication. Um, I have a YouTube channel that is launching as we speak. And it's called Access Allison, Allison with one L. And on it, people can find free content on how to be a better communicator or anything related to business communications. With these four or five minute videos, I may be doing an interview or just offering advice because I got an email inquiry from somebody. So that's a really fun way to follow me. I'm also on Twitter at Access Allison, or Access Alley, excuse me. And then LinkedIn is a great way, too, to follow me because I also load my video content onto LinkedIn. So I really want to help people be better communicators. Yes, I want to be paid for this, but, and that's cool. But I want to provide free content, too, for um, the basic stuff that people need or as a refresher for those, those of my clients who are out there who just want a little bit of Alice in love and can't get me in their in their office that day. Awesome. Yes. Well, and a Allison, so sorry, my website. Yes, please. Um, www.allycom.co, and it's launching the end of March. Excellent. Okay, well, we'll make sure we include that in our show notes for sure so Thank people you. can find you. Allison, this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you are you. awesome. You're awesomer. Oh, thank you. And I look forward to having you on again after you get everything launched on your website and 
all the phase three is in motion. It's so. like I'm planning a space mission right now. Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> it's it amazing. Is, it is going to be amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Another episode of The Collective Voice. I hope you will take Allison's advice and make your 7% of words matter by polishing your visual and vocal skills. I know the tidbit I'm going to take away from this episode is the following. Say yes and work backwards. You can find Joy at joyschwartz.com and you can find me, Natalie Siston, at smalltownleadership.com. Please give us a rating on iTunes and tell a friend about our podcast. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for joining us and be sure to check out future podcasts of The Collective Voice on iTunes. This is Joy Schwartz and Natalie Siston with The The Collective Collective Voice. Voice.